This podcast is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky stuff. You know, any film that we talk about here, we recommend you see in advance. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got red on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Hello everyone and welcome to another brand new episode of Oh the Horror. It's a horror movie podcast that takes a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the newcomer Steve Allman. And I'm the expert Rob Holmes. And today we are looking at the surreal thriller The Killing of a Sacred Deer directed by Yargos Lathimos. Or Lanthimos. Yeah. Uh, Very exotic name. Yeah, Yorgos, Yorgos Lanthimos. This, oh man, <laughs> um, this movie is not, it is not what the trailer said it was going to be at all. This, you know, let, let's start this off with just deceiving trailers. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I hate it when films are victims of deceiving trailers to begin with. Some, very rarely does it play to its advantage. Uh, it, no, no, it to... never. It, it it is very, very rare, and it takes a very deft hand to make that happen. And this is not that because, based on the trailer, I am not expecting this movie, and, and that's not that's not a good thing because what I ended up seeing was not what I was hoping to see. Right, um, and you, you when you see when you see trailers like this, they are clearly making they're making you perceive a movie at a, at its most marketable, at its most accessible. So that you can at least get your butt in the seats or get your butt in the theater to actually see this thing, and then when you sit down to see it, it could entirely be something different, and that's a, you know, it's a b- pretty big victim of its own uh, marketing for sure. This movie, along with some a few other things, but uh, I, I I find I find this movie interesting uh, on a technical level only because of its inaccessibility. Uh, which is a very generous reason to say uh, to cushion you from saying what Rob's opinion is, which you don't like it very much. No, look, there there are aspects of this film that I I like. I understand what what the director is doing. Um, it is very theatrical in the way that it's done. It felt like more of a of a stage play that we're kind of just following around from scene to scene, especially just with the delivery of things. And, and I I get that it's an artistic choice. I think that it works. I think that some of the stuff that occurs in the film, especially later in it, is is just kind of absurd and ridiculous. And I wish there was... I wanted this kid to be a real villain villain. And to me, it just didn't seem like he was a true villain of a character. Uh, because I expected this to be more of basically taking the kid stalking the family or going after the family or saying he's going to kill them or do something to them and kind of subverting it in a way that takes takes that normal premise of a film and just amps it up to 11 you know and i was kind of hoping for something like that and in this case it went to uh back to the tried and true greek tragedy you know i that i yeah yeah, so I actually quite admire this director because of the first movie of his that I have seen uh, is a 2015 film called The Lobster that is also streaming on Netflix now. And uh, if you have seen The Killing of a Sacred Deer or The Lobster, you can tell that this director has a very interesting stylistic choice of delivering of having his actors 
deliver the most deadpanest of deadpan dialogue almost to the sense that like you don't know that these actors even know how to act every time that there's a sort of dialogue scene it's as if that these characters are aliens in human bodies pretending to be human uh it's very surreal the way that people interact with each other because it's not at all the way that people interact with each other and for the sake of the lobster i found it very captivating because it's very much a black comedy and that interaction between characters along with these absurd situations that characters find themselves in works and clicks in a very interesting way and in this movie very much a thriller very much a twisty uh kubrickian almost head head mindfuck of a, of a movie you know yeah but it, it felt like a half measure man you know exactly when you're, when you're talking about what you're going to do and where it ends and you know let's just jump into it when we get to so so let's just go into the premise real quick just just in case there's people who haven't seen it and don't care about spoilers at all um so this guy uh there's this doctor dr stephen murphy that is played by colin farrell he did a surgery on this kid's father. Uh, his name's Martin. Martin's father has died. And now um, the doctor kind of meets up with him every now and then to check on him and see how he's doing. And they have these weird... Yeah, but they're, they're bonding. It's like their bonding sessions are kind of weird. Like that watch scene in the beginning... I get where they were going with it, but then they kept focusing on the band. It's like, I wear a silver band. I like it because it's easy to clean or whatever. And then the kids just gets it and then, you know, says, I want to trade it out. I would rather have a leather band. A leather band is the better band that I would like. And then you see him later. Look, I got the band. Check it out. Look, I know that you wanted me to get the silver band, but I got the leather band. And then it, it just, it almost felt like a theater exercise that you're watching someone do or an improv exercise that people are doing that was kind of filmed or put on. I get that it's a stylistic choice, but some of the dialogue was very inane to me. It just was just thrown in there. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, it's very much inane almost nothing dialogue because you get to see like that, that that whole reveal of the watch just being the same watch that a surgeon that he works with has he just bought he doesn't have the inspiration to actually get the watch that's yeah, well, all it, that the, but there's a, that but there's other stuff that you're expecting it to go to like you're expecting it to lead to something where it's mentioned, but it's mentioned for no reason whatsoever. The guy is never really suspicious of him. He never says anything really to um, wonder what the relationship is between uh, the doctor or the surgeon and this kid, you know? A lot of stuff just, you know, then, so then basically as he's, he's getting this kid involved in his life or the kid is kind of pushing himself into his personal life... <clears throat> Um, he's also trying to get him to come over and set him up with his mom, played by Alicia Silverstone, who's in it for one scene. Literally one scene. And then she's never seen again. And that was, that was tragic, because you see her in the scene, and you're like, okay, cool, she's gonna be a part of this movie. That's awesome, I haven't seen her in a while, so this'll be good. And then she's gone, and you're like, dude... You, to her credit, well, she does a great job in that scene. She does a great job in that scene, but, you know, you're left wanting more from it, exactly. especially since she's introduced, and then we never see her again. Now, 
the character of Martin, I'm I'm extremely interested by. I think that he's very layered and very deep, and it has kind of the same look in his face that Mads Mikkelsen has, where yes. you can't really read his emotions a lot of the time. He can smile. There's very much an undercurrent. But what does that of, smile mean? You know. The, yes, there's very much an undercurrent of sinister nature and tragedy and almost revenge. You could say, like, it's very downplayed this kid actor is actually quite good at the vibe that he's trying to give off and under very good direction like you could see all of that but again all of these stylistic choices i feel like if this was a movie without dialogue it might actually be better (laughs) like even even more minimal dialogue than there already is because there's not a lot and what we do get is very stilted and very staccato and again inane Oh, we get, like, weird stories. There are very weird stories. That story... Oh, my God. That really creepy story that uh, Colin Farrell talks to... uh, The kid talks to Martin about. um, About when he was a kid. The masturbation story. Exactly. Like, Like, dude. Dude, what the hell was that? Like, that was... it's, It's so odd because... It, it's so odd and told in the most nonchalant way, but it is it is the strangest thing. I think that is the strangest part of this movie is that's that story alone. And I, I weirdly, as I was watching this movie, I was pulled to um, comparing it to another movie called Enter the Void. Uh, if you've seen this, it's very much a art house type of movie where it, it it's very much about just vibe and tone and heavy stylized choices to bring about this one story in multiple different ways. It's it, it's very dense. I don't even know if I could recommend it. But as you go through the movie, the choices story-wise that these movies seem to take are almost nonsensical. And you're kind of entranced somehow at everything that it's throwing at you. And once you forget about even what characters are saying or what you're even looking at on screen... You try to combine all of these things into an actual mood or a tone or a vibe that you can try to just parse with your own mind. This, this is sounding very art housey or like art school. Well, it kind of you know, it kind of inter- it kind of is. It, this is a very art house movie in a way. It um, is, and like, I have a, quite a bit of faith in this director because this guy knows what he's doing, and I get what he's doing, and you clearly do as well, and. There were moments in t- in this movie where I'm like, yes, you're going for it. You're nailing it right here in this moment when he's talking to you about this part. He, he sells me, but then every once in a while, I'm just it under is undercut by something inane or something that doesn't go along with anything else that we saw previously. Well, I and mean, this movie this movie drags. You know, it, it's it does. long. It very much. It's a does. very long movie. A lot of logic leaps are are out of this film because never at any point. Do, do they call the cops on this situation that this kid is terrorizing them? Because basically what happens is one day uh, the kid just pulls him aside and says, so you killed my dad and you took something away from me, so I'm taking something away from you. I have a curse on you. You know, this is what's going to happen. Um, there are four stages to this. First, they're going to not be able to walk. Then they're going to stop eating. Third stage, as you know, he says, as you know, is bleeding from the eyes, which was a very thing, strange thing for him to say. Uh, and then the fourth stage is death. Um, 
And it just, it sucks because you're like, all right, well, this is such a weird thing for him to do, but there's no real explanation behind any of it. No mythos behind it that we're really given to figure out what's going on. We just know this is happening. And as stuff starts to go on, you're like, what did he do? Did he poison him? Did he do this? And they do all the tests on the kids. Everyone is, it is witchcraft? Is it what, Like, we need something to actually tether why this is happening. And, and there's just, nothing. No, it's they just, just happening. Yeah, they're like, well, we don't know. And then they think he's just, he's like, we can't keep the kids anymore. You have to take them home. And there's no real explanation. Like, they're not bringing in other people. They're not going to different hospitals. They're not saying, hey, all right, well, obviously people here don't know what they're doing. So let's go to a different place. That's the stuff that I find very strange. So basically they took any of the normal stuff that you would have in a film like Logic and just threw it out the window and said, all right, in this world, the doctors can't help and there are no such thing as police that we can call. And I feel like I wish that he could have taken a bit more of a conventional approach because you have a very cool setup and premise and story here. And uh, amongst all of these things that could have been different or at least even generic or conventional... We could have had a solid movie here. Like, yeah, but like, you know what? You can take generic and conventional and give it a twist. I think that's that would make it a lot better. I think going this art house approach with it, you know, I, I loved the premise of this film, and I think it could have really gone gone further if played, given if they were able to have that emotion. Now, emotion did come in later when Colin Farrell is finally outside of his house, and he's saying, like, if you hurt my family... He even yells out that he's going to fucking kill him. And you're expecting there to be some repercussions from that, like the cops show up and arrest him. Nope. Uh, and it, it, that part, it, it just, I don't know. All of that felt really strange to me, especially in today's day and age when there is, if there were some sort of threat going out, people get, they freak out right away. And with social media, people just lose their minds over anything. So I was kind of expecting it to go a little bit of that route and be a little... Uh, right on the nose with the times. Part of me kind of wishes they did. Part of me is glad that they didn't, but I feel like the direction that they went in was just not the strongest choice. No, and you said your this suspension of disbelief was a big stretch for you, and I completely agree because you need something to actually tether your expectations and belief to when almost everything that happens in this movie is unbelievable. Even the way that it's presented to you is unbelievable. I can't believe that, like, as Colin Farrell kind of, like, spills his guts, of, like, to this kid and be like, I'll fucking kill, like, all of this stuff, you get, you, he gives you all of that and then almost nothing is reciprocated afterwards via tone of the film or anything. The, the way that that scene plays out, everything that happens afterwards is the opposite of what you think should happen or a half measure of anything that could. Yeah, and maybe that's the way that, you know, the director probably was like, I'm subverting all expectations in my own way, and I'm subverting the subversion of expectations, and just kind of... I, I just wanted a stronger ending. The fact that he spins around with a shotgun... Like, okay, or he spins around with a rifle. The fact that he blindfolds himself and spins around, like, in this tiny little circle, he looks ridiculous when he's doing it, number one. And then when he's doing it, he he's missing left and right. He could have been there all day. I'm surprised he ended up hitting the kid square on in the chest. You know, I it was it was just absurd. There's better ways of going about doing that than the way he did. Absolutely. <clears throat> Which is again, I I am very 
weirded out because his previous film, The Lobster, I hate to go back to this and be comparative to his other work, but... That's fine. I, everything that he was going for in that movie very much tonally fits with this movie, but it works so much better based on, like, premise, execution, themes, uh, across the board. All of that is done, and it's a perfect fit. But for this, when you try to build tension or you try to build suspense or even stakes... It, it falls flat because of the stylistic choices that you're making. And I get that that can be a choice that hinders a movie, but man, does it just kneecap it come the end. Well, the thing that blows my mind about this, this is the one of the most critically acclaimed movies of the year from 2017. I, I, can, I can also see it. I can see... All right, but, but tell, riddle me this. How did it win at the Cannes Film Festival Best Screenplay? I okay, I don't that I can't tell you. That I cannot tell I, you. That that's what blows my mind. Uh, maybe maybe the way the screenplay was written, the actual way it was put on the page was different from what I saw on the screen, and maybe it's more effective reading it as a script. Because if you're looking at it as a screenplay, maybe it does work better, but I think with doing such a stilted, stylized delivery with it, it's doing itself a disservice. And it, to me, did not build up tension in the way that I was hoping that it would. And just doing the one kill, you know, it would have been interesting if he had done the kill and then everyone died anyway. Like, no matter what he did, he was going to lose everything. Uh, or it would somehow backfire on him... Or he thinks he stopped the kid and then something. I just, I wanted more out of it. It just felt like if this movie were an hour and a half and this happened, it's okay. But the fact that this movie dragged on with multiple subplots for two hours. You know, when you're dealing with stuff like the daughter, you know, hanging out with uh, the kid and, and Martin and having that relationship going on. It doesn't really help anything in, in the film except shows that martin has this control over her which kind of makes you think that the martin character might be more like the devil coming back if we want to go into a, a different level on it not just the greek uh yeah you know, the a meta textual you could say and we get met on it that yeah he's the devil and he's coming back to get revenge for this kid or the kid has the devil on his side something like that uh and he's just put this this curse or he has this power and this is just something that he can do who knows i i wanted more out of it though and i think that given the amount of time for the film they they just could have focused on some other stuff to uh, give it a little more put a little more meat on it you know yes and i think that honestly i i i'm actually agreeing with what you said with if this movie was literally a half hour or even 45 minutes shorter and this had a pace to it, if it had a urgency to it, I think that is exactly what could fix it. Not even so much that you get rid of scenes wholesale, but truncate them, make them poppier. And I, it's against the entire stylistic choice of this movie, but when it's when it just straight up does not work for either one of us, like I think that the best sort of option to make something tense because of how fast it moves because I, I i get the urgency once the stakes get higher but again the, the movie luxuriates on things that don't matter 
You know what this reminds me of at times? It reminds me of the movie Beyond the Black Rainbow. It seems like the director falls in love with certain shots and then just wants to stay on them for way too long instead of realizing, you know what would probably be better for this? If we, if we just edited the thing down a bit and, you know, tightened things up. Right. Because I will say, you, you, you got to give credit to him. His cinematic eye is very, very good. Like, this is a gorgeous-looking movie. Absolutely. But, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, that's where self-editing is necessary. Um, and I think that certain directors and cinematographers fall in love with certain shots a little too much. And they want to showcase it for the longest period of time. Or they think they're evoking a mood. And that's great. You you can evoke a lot of moods, but at the end of the day, you're now ending up with a movie that just runs too long. The pacing feels completely off, and because you've made so many stylistic choices, it doesn't it does not become a cohesive film. To me, it is a very disjointed movie that has amazing parts, but they don't come together as a whole. Right, and I think that's probably the biggest lesson to take away from it, because outside of that. You have one sort of stylistic shoe that this director fits so, so, so well. Yeah. And I, th I think my main concern is just like, okay, if I can't possibly recommend this, still recommend The Lobster? <laughs> yeah, like, so, I mean, it's it's the same thing with Michel Gondry, right? So, you oh, know, man. we, we yeah. go back and we look at, at a lot of the stuff that he's done over the years. And he has hits and he has misses, so... I think this is the same type of thing. And some people will say that Michelle Gondry has no misses. They're all, they're all good in their own right. And there will be people who's, there will be people who say the same thing about this director as well as he goes through his career. I, I get that. Everybody is entitled to their own opinion. My opinion on this film is that I just, I, I, I wanted to be into it. I really did. I was very hopeful for it. It just wasn't my movie, you know, it wasn't my thing. Mm -hmm. I, I respect and admire his eye and his absolutely again his style I like it's brave it's different it's quite frankly it's probably needed like we need people with visions like this even if we don't like them because they will eventually make something that is going to floor you and absolutely. there's no and denying this, that this, this guy is... has talent you know yeah absolutely and it's it's good to see that there is uh there's a platform for directors like this who are willing to make these type of movies and have this amount of attention come to them i think that is that is a great thing i just wish that i enjoyed it more exactly i i can't even say that this is a poorly made movie this is no just not a at all executed not, movie yeah it's 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 different you know and it's just not my thing it's very well well made as far as the the quality of everything uh it's just and, and you know even the editing everything everything in its own right i think individually is solid given stylistic choices but you know when you stitch it all together that doesn't always make it the best thing i get there's a lot of symbolism behind it and there's there's a lot more meaning to it maybe it requires repeat viewings i just don't think i can sit through with that uh, again <laughs> No, little, I wouldn't. It's a little too tedious for me. Exactly. And I probably wouldn't do the same. But again, I think, uh, again, rec let's, let's just recommend The Lobster. Even if you haven't seen it, Rob. Uh, I, I'm you know, I haven't. But so, so, hey, guys. So for this one, <laughs> uh, for Killing of the Sacred Deer, we're going to say we recommend The Lobster. A absolutely. That's a solid endorsement from Oda That's Oda a Horn. solid endorsement for The Lobster. I haven't seen it, but... 
Um, you know, I would say start with a lobster and then <laughs> see you, this yeah. movie. And if you've seen this movie, let us know what you think. Uh, let us know if you love it. Let us know if you hate it because, or not hate, but you know, dislike, or if you hate it, who knows? You, you let your feelings out, you know, let us know how you feel about it. That's kind of why we, we do this because we want to know, you know, do people like these films? Do they not like this films? This is why we, we have these conversations. Oh, you know what? One thing we didn't talk about, we did not talk about Nicole Kidman at all. So let's, yeah, let's talk about Nicole Kidman for a second in this movie, in her performance, loved her in this, as far as what she was giving in the film also felt like she was being wasted slightly. Uh, yes. For, like, I keep forgetting how great Nicole Kidman is as an actress because she kind of is a chameleon in a lot of things that she's in. We just don't get to see her that often because she used to be, like, a big leading lady in, like, the early 2000s and stuff. And now she's kind of just in stuff that she wants to be in and... Yeah, again, not that yeah, much. Yeah, but I, I think it's great because a lot of what she's in, it, it, it is avant-garde, it is critically acclaimed. She's willing to take the leaps, obviously. It, like, especially doing um stuff like in this, it's a lot of full frontal nudity, which I'm very surprised, but she's been doing that in a lot of films. I, or not a lot of films, but some films. She's done it a years. few times, yeah. But it, it didn't really seem necessary for the movie, do you know what I mean? But also, the, the thing in this is you do realize as you go through this movie that this family... They seem like they would be a perfect family, but how messed up everybody really is. And how this guy's job has just affected everyone's life um, through and through. And they don't have a normal life. Like, he basically likes it when his, you know, his wife is, what, dead, right? I mean, it seems like almost like necrophilia with it. Or if she's out cold because she's had uh, anesthesia or something. Right. And the way that this movie seems to view this mother figure is, again, very... It's captivating and disturbing, I have to say. Oh, yeah. It, at when times, we're introduced at times to I'm this really, At times I'm rooting for her big time, and then all of a sudden I'm like, what are you do? What is happening? Right. And she oh. turns on it like that. It's completely natural the way that she's acting. You believe it for every second. And right. It's probably the best acting that we have in the movie. Uh, it's it's so good. She's great. Like Nicole Kidman's just amazing. Like that's yeah. Like, she, that, she her legacy it, is secure. She does, she does the delivery the best out of everyone. I think with with what she does with it because it's that stilted delivery that very just it very sounds Stepford Wivesy. It's it sounds yeah. It's very it's very monotone when it comes out like that. And I think it works with her the best just because I mean she's she's the best act actor in the film. Um, and, you know, Colin Farrell's no slouch, but there are times where his feels a little more stilted, but I think maybe that was the intention for the character. Uh, but but she's she's great. I think when, at the one point where she's just like, yeah, we don't need two kids. I mean, we could always have another kid, you know? We, we could always just have another kid. I was like, wait, you're just, you are now advocating for killing one of your kids straight up just she just turns and is just 100 percent like yeah okay this is what's happening now it's it, that part was kind of cool because of how brutal she was with it that's kind of the crown jewel in nicole kidman's performance is that she can be as twisted as the movie needs her to be and you believe it for every second and i keep sleeping on the on nicole kidman's talent every time because i don't know why but every time i just see her name and something i'm just like oh okay nicole kidman like but she's amazing she's so good 
I think it's you know her her name gets thrown around in, in pop culture uh, you know with a lot of other A list actors where you're like okay I hear their name all the time uh huh uh huh uh huh and then a lot of the time yeah you don't think about what they're what they're doing okay another movie with them sure whatever but then when you watch their performances you're like oh now I know why they're as famous as they are and as popular as they are they're not just a pretty face who can't act or someone who's just going to be thrown in a blockbuster just because they're the son or daughter of someone else, or they have famous ties to somebody because they're, uh, you know, the, the usual stuff that you're seeing in a lot of Hollywood, uh, a lot of Hollywood mainstream films. So yeah, it's cool to see Nicole Kidman doing more of this type of, of film or these type of films. Um, I just, I just wanted this one to be better, man. As I said, you know, I, I wanted uh, a bigger moment in it. This kind of reminded me of Funny Games. It was very The remake of Funny Games, you mean? Or Dude, both Funny Games. Both and Funny, Funny Games. Games <laughs> Funny Games and the remake of Funny Games, they are the exact same movie to a T, same director. Yes. Shot you know, for shot. Shot for shot. Yet there are moments of each one that I think, <clears throat> there are moments of each one that I think are great. I don't think either of those are perfect movies. I think it's the same thing of holding on to certain shots for too long. Yes, it's all about making the audience uncomfortable to draw that scene out as long as possible. I get where the director's going with it. I mean, I, I can see it. I don't necessarily... That wouldn't be my choice. That's all I'm saying for those. And that's what I'm saying for this. Yeah, so hopefully the next movie that we end up doing, we like very much, and I think we will. Uh, uh, yes, speaking film. of which, what do we have for next week, Rob? Oh, man. So we are going back in time a little bit to look at the 1982 classic Creep Show, uh, directed yeah. by George A. Romero and written by Stephen King. This is uh, Clash of the Titans, man. <laughs> I don't think... It is. Uh, dude, this movie is so... It is, it's a lot of fun. We are going to get into it. It has a cavalcade of stars. So many amazing actors in this film. We will we will talk about the highs and lows of the Creepshow series as well. Uh, just in case you guys didn't know, there are not just two Creepshow films. There are three. Oh, boy. But we're only looking at the one. And we're, uh, we're, you know, no, no, no. You're only looking at the one. I am going to dig a little deeper for you guys. And... Uh, Kind of sprinkling a little stuff throughout the the episode about some uh, some stuff that you probably won't ever want to watch. <laughs> Please do. Oh yeah. Ugh. All right. Perfect. Well, that is going to do it for us at Oh the Horror for this week. Thank you guys so much again for listening and for tuning on in. Feel free to check us out on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on pretty much everything now. Uh, yeah, if you want to get in contact, oh yeah, no, no. I mean that's what I was that's what I was going to say. Yeah, we're. We're, we're starting to get our, our stuff out there a little more, um, but you can reach us on email at ohthehorrorcast at gmail.com. You can get a hold of us on Twitter at uh, ohthehorrorcast. Uh, Facebook, you know, we're, we're pretty much out everywhere uh, that you can find podcasts and, and all that social media stuff. So, you know, shoot us a message. Let us know the type of stuff that you want to hear next and some of the movies or even, you know, some TV stuff. If there's some horror television um you know, short series. We don't want to sit through, you know, seven or eight series seasons of a series, but if it's something short and sweet, we would love to uh, check that out and uh, let you know what we think. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again so much for listening. And uh, until next week, I've been Steve Allman and I'm Rob Holmes. We'll talk to you next time. Look at me, Damien. 
up. It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here.